0: Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second.
1: When you're wearing the right outfit, it feels good. Like hitting all green lights good, finding an onion ring in your french fries good. Getting dressed can feel just like that when you have a trunk club stylist. Because not only do we send you lots of outfits and accessories, we also teach you how to style them. And since we're a Nordstrom company, you know you'll be well taken care of. Look and feel great every single day with Trunk Club. Meet your personal stylist at trunkclub.com. That's T-R-U-N-K-C-L-U-B.com.
0: Welcome to the Forbes Under 30 Podcast. I'm Steve Goldblum, your host. On this show, we speak with young entrepreneurs... And innovators.
2: Hey everybody, it's Laurel, executive producer for Forbes Podcasts. This week Steve's away, so for today's special episode, we have a different kind of show, two awesome interviews. First up, we're featuring Jessica Alba, actress and founder of The Honest Company, who was interviewed by Young Me Moon, professor of business administration at Harvard Business School at the October 2016 Forbes Under 30 Summit. Also, from the same summit, we'll hear from the Fine Brothers, writers and directors who on their wildly successful Fine Brothers. Brothers Entertainment YouTube channel has over 15 million subscribers. They're interviewed by Madeline Berg, reporter at Forbes. Here we go. I feel like I want to be closer. Why are okay, we so I far away? Okay, I don't know. Let's move other? them over. Okay. All right. All right. I missed you. You know the best I missed you too.
3: You know the best thing about this event? I didn't have to worry about what to wear cuz I thought no one's going to be looking at me. <laughs> this is fantastic. Thanks for that. Yeah, You're welcome. Okay. Does she look fabulous? Okay. So, I, so I've worked with Jessica for two years, and I have to tell you, it's kind of gross. She looks like this all the time, like all the time. It's really annoying, actually. So
2: how are you? Oh, jeez. Do you come I remember, in? so um, being in a board meeting, that was like a new thing for me. Like I'd never been in a board meeting in my life before I started The Honest Company. And I remember, you know, some of our our conference rooms were really cold, and I would bring, and I would bring like a cozy blanket. She would come <laughs> in with like blankets into a board meeting, and me would be like, I've never been in a board meeting with someone with a blanket in my life. Yes, sir. no, you. Would, she
3: would come in with, and with popcorn, a huge bowl, like the largest bowl of popcorn. I mean, can, it's like four hours, and then long. blankets, and she'd sit there with blankets, <laughs> and then she would want to get into the analytics of the business. Yeah, that's true. Yes, this yeah. is how
2: it is. Most important part. I uh, know. <laughs> We're gonna do a very serious. Okay. Thing. Okay. Serious okay. Conversation. Very serious. Well, I mean, you have the really serious pictures yeah. back no. there with my like degenerate mom go. friends. <laughs> What's going on? Uh-huh. Okay. All right, no, I do. I want to ask you about your business. I mean, you can't have this photo up. It's just distracting.
3: Okay, well, we'll wait. Okay, let's wait. It's like going any, any other photo. It's going to change in about 20 seconds. Okay. okay. There
2: you go. Oh, there you go. That's Lip nice. gloss mustaches. Okay. Why not? Well, this is good, so that yeah. people in the room take you seriously as a serious very serious. Woman. Okay, there we you go. You know, social media is uh, a big part of uh, the Honest Company, and, and I actually launched a company uh, within the company called Honest Beauty, and it's an entry-level, price-point, prestige beauty brand. And uh, I just really felt uh, that the millennial customer was craving a beauty company that not only celebrates diverse beauty, but uses clean, uh, better-for-you ingredients. But in products that actually work, it's not like you're putting layers of dirt on your face, which I feel like was the option, right, (laughs) prior to. So you can get high-pigmented colors. You can get really high-performance hair care, skin care, color cosmetics, but without um, a lot of sort of potentially harmful uh, chemicals or synthetic fragrances, which is really one of the, the big differentiators between us and them is we never use synthetic fragrances. So uh, social media has been a big part of that and communi- having an authentic voice on social media on social media and um, creating content that's relevant for that platform when you're buying ads or creating ads, but then also when you have your own page really coming at it from a very human perspective. And I think that's something that you guys, uh, as digital natives essentially, are going to be doing naturally as business people where every other generation prior to, they had to learn how to uh, have a voice or have a personality um, or speak for themselves online. Um, it's, It's not as natural for them. So, I think as you guys become entrepreneurs and as you guys fully realize your dreams and whatever business uh, that you guys end up creating or being part of, you guys will naturally do all this silly stuff that I'm doing because you understand how important it is to be authentic. Um, so,
3: there are two things that you said there that I think were really striking. The first is for people who only have sort of a glancing familiarity with honest. So, honest started out, you know, selling diapers, you know and then what 's well, happened is that the a mix it okay, okay, mixed. but stay with me for a <laughs> okay, second okay. so what 's happened is the product portfolio has expanded over yeah. time, yeah, yeah. to the point where if you just take where you were five years ago mm-hmm. and fast forward today mm-hmm. you 're running a full blown CPG company, including honest beauty yeah so that 's the first thing, and then the second thing that 's really striking about this is if you go and take a look at this brand and if you haven 't, I invite you to do. The, the connection that your customers feel to this brand. And you see it in the way they engage on social media, yeah. the way they chat with the customer service representatives on the mm-hmm. phone yeah. is really pretty remarkable.
2: It is. Um, so, yeah, I actually created, I really wanted a brand to stand for something more than, more than anything. It wasn't like anybody can go make liquid soap, right? Anybody can go make a diaper. But what what's the value proposition that you're delivering that no one else is really uh, understanding? And that's really what I wanted. For me, as the customer, I wanted peace of mind. I wanted to know that no matter what I got from this company, they did all the hard work for me. They are creating safe and effective, uh, high-performance products that are beautifully designed and are excessively priced. And just giving, being able to give people peace of mind. So no matter what touch point uh, you have with our, our, uh, our business, whether it's health and wellness and it's our vitamins or it's our GOT certified organic tampons or if it's our uh, baby diapers or it's our shampoo body wash or it's our lip, lip gloss, you know that we did all the hard work to make sure that we are delivering the highest quality best performing product that's available today and we're always trying to improve and we're always going to innovate and try and bring you guys the best that there is out there and also more importantly educate you educate you on ingredients educate you on the difference between this and that um why are synthetic you know uh, fragrances harmful why do people have so many reactions what is the long-term effect of that Uh, and be able to have a a real platform and a voice to speak about it in an articulate way, but also break it down into layman's terms so you don't have to be a toxicologist or a scientist to actually have a takeaway.
3: You know, the very first time I met you, what struck me about that conversation was, um, on the one hand, at this sort of intellectual level, you had this very distinct value proposition in mind. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it was really clear how personal the business endeavor was for you like this was really personal for you can you talk a little bit about that and your personal motivation for why this meant so much to you this was the company you had to start
2: i um so my personal motivation i feel like the best entrepreneurs out there um they they identify an opportunity in the marketplace and they see this White space and they go after it. And so for me, the white space was I was very sick as a kid. I had chronic asthma and allergies. I had uh, kidney problems. I had multiple uh, surgeries. Um, And I think just spending so much time sick in hospital beds, and my parents were just trying to make ends meet. They both worked several jobs my whole life. Um, and it was a burden on the family for me, A, to be sick, but also for them not to be able to provide everything that, uh, that I may have needed to live a healthier life. So um, when I became pregnant with my kid, when I was my first kid, I have two, uh, but my first one when I was 26 I actually had an allergic reaction and I hadn't had one in a very long time and when I had this allergic reaction it was, it was to a laundry detergent actually that my mom recommended that I use uh, that is, was marketed uh, to um, babies and she said I use this on you, you have to use this and, and when I used this laundry detergent and I had this allergic reaction I went into a tailspin of trying to figure, like first of all oh, no, is my little baby going to be like me? Is she going to have to grow up in hospital beds? Is she going to have to have a breathing machine if she wants to go play baseball or soccer? Um, That was super embarrassing. Uh, Is she going to have to go and be on, like, medication? 250 milligrams of of, of crazy medication three times a day at age five? It was intense. I didn't sleep very much because it was for asthma, so it, like, uh, was very speedy. Um, and and it, it caused a lot of problems for me as a kid. So I just didn't want my, mom, my my kid to to have to deal with that reality. And so when I was looking around to try and find alternative products, it either looked like a hippie made it in their backyard, or it smelled like a hippie made it in their backyard, <laughs> or it was literally 20 times more expensive and still looked like a hippie made it in their backyard. I'm like... So this burlap sack thing <laughs> is 20 times more expensive, doesn't really work, and it smells funky. Um, so I ended up just making a lot of my own detergents because I was so freaked out, um, and my house smelled like salad dressing, uh, because most things, you know, when you make your own detergents, it's like vinegar, baking soda, it's kind of it, lemon. Um, and I was like, "There's got to be a better way to do this." And that's where, when I conceptualized this idea of this company that can give you safe but effective products that are beautifully designed. I mean, why does it have to look ugly? Why does it have to look like someone, you know, made it in their backyard? I don't mind burlap socks. <laughs> I just think when used appropriately, right. <laughs> Um, and uh, and I and so I wanted beautiful design and I wanted it delivered conveniently to my door or wherever I was shopping. Uh, so when we launched the company, we launched with 17 products. Actually, diapers and wipes. That was one bundle. You get delivered to your door for uh, 20 bucks a week. And you can choose from actually 20 different designs. So the the big white space that, like, I'm being creative inside something that's a real need was how do you bring design to alternative? So how do you bring efficacy and design to alternative products? And then price. How do you make it priced within people's reach? So you never really want to be more than 20% over conventional. If you really want to make a big impact on the marketplace, take market share from the conventional players, and then also give people a viable option. Um, so that's... So, so you, know, you did come from a personal... Yeah, so you, a long you were an actress, though. I right? was an so actress.
3: You were, well, you are an actress. <laughs> well, a successful actress. I was. And, I was. you know, yeah. I can only imagine the kind of pushback you got early on yeah. and all the people who said you were crazy and all mm. the people who said... You don't know how to do this. You don't know what you're doing.
2: They were right. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I had no so, idea.
3: So talk about what gave you the resilience to press ahead, and, and what was the turning point for you? When did mm-hmm. you start to realize, I can do this, and I can do this as well as anyone can do this? Hmm.
2: Well, gosh, there's so many different ways to answer this. I have never taken the easy path, and there has never been an easy path available for me to take ever in life. Everything's been an uphill battle, or there just literally was no path, and I had to create it. Um, So I was used to that uh, as an actress. Um, The fact that I was even successful as an actress was completely crazy and no one ever suspected that in my family where I come from that that would ever even be a reality. Um, So I think overcoming uh, challenges and figuring out how to have a career in the most insane business really out there, entertainment, was something that gave me a bit of confidence in knowing that I can do the impossible. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, I think you really have to have a vision for what you want. What is the goal? And then I think you have to get very real with what you're good at and what you're not good at. And once you realize what you're good at and what you're not good at, you fill in the gaps of what you're not good at with data and expertise. So then I went and I surrounded myself with, I picked three other co-founders to join the company with me that could fill in the gaps of what I didn't know. And then once we did that, then one of them had relationships, actually, with venture capital. He was a serial entrepreneur. He created the first subscription e-commerce business model. And every, basically every VC wanted to invest in Brian's next venture. And uh, Brian, my business partner, Brian Lee, the first time I pitched him the idea, he turned me down. He was starting a company with Kim Kardashian called Shoe Dazzle. He launched the company. It was very successful. And 18 months later, I went back to him and pitched him the idea again. But this time, I really refined my pitch. I got it down to, like, a 20-page deck from, like, a 100-and-something page deck. And, um, and I also got this someone named Christopher Gavigan to join me. Uh, as well and he had a kid. Brian had his first kid. So he was in a place in his life where he was receptive to the idea of a healthier lifestyle, a better for you business and a better option for people out there to live their best life because he then for the first time felt like he had to bring up a little person and wanted his son to have the best opportunity at life. So it was really it was timing perseverance, having the vision, and being able to support uh, what you don't know with expertise and data. And then, uh, and then being, being very clear and decisive and confident about the value proposition that you're going after. So no matter who you're sitting in front, in front of, they will never doubt what your intentions are, what your mission is, And they also want to have confidence. Like when I talk to entrepreneurs now, and and they want business business advice, or they ask for capital, or what have you, I I look at at them as people. Like, can you weather the storm? Are you going to be deterred when people tell you no? Will you be able to pave your own way when there is no path there in front of you? Um, And that there's something about that. And I don't know if you can. I don't think you can actually learn that in business school. I think that comes from inside. And so tap into what's inside and persevere.
0: And taking a quick break to say that this show is brought to you by the Business Platinum Card from American Express. However you move your business forward, with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are, it's about where you want to take your business next and nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum Card, backed by the service and security of American Express. There are 120,000 unsolved murder cases in America. It was the next day that I I found out from my parents when it happened, that my sister was killed. Each one is called a cold case.
2: Sometimes you have to look really closely to find the evidence.
0: Damn, I killed her. Damn it, I killed her. Cold Case Files, the podcast.
4: Garcia is walking into the home of a
0: real monster. I was nervous. I realized what kind of person I was dealing with. It's a
3: goosebump moment.
0: Download new episodes every Tuesday on the Podcast One app or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com.
3: So when you think about the person you were five years ago when you started, and then you think about who you are today, what about you surprises you? What have you gotten so good at that you never in your wildest dreams thought, you know what, I'm, I'm really good at this? What, what have you discovered about yourself along the way?
2: I think I'm a good leader. Say more. It it took me a minute to get here. You know, I, coming from entertainment, I allowed other people to kind of write my story, right? If a magazine wrote something about me or judged me a certain way, if a production company wanted to sell me a certain way, I would just kind of mold into what they wanted Because to me, it was business. I needed to make the most amount of money. I was professional. I was doing my job. I was showing up. I was doing it and moving on. And I didn't care that people were short-sighted in the way that they viewed me, because I knew in myself or in my heart who I really was. Now in business, it doesn't really serve you. In business, you need to show up on day one knowing exactly who you are. And you can't allow other people to judge you or deter you. And when we first started the company, obviously, everyone was giving me all the credit for the business. So I, in turn, probably didn't stand up or didn't take credit for a lot of stuff. And I allowed my business partners to get a lot more credit in things where we all had shared credit. It was really all four of us that... Got together, built this business, built this team, tackled problems, tackled challenges together. That's how we had such a strong business and a strong outcome. But a lot of times I sort of sat on the sidelines and I let them sort of take it because I felt bad that in the media I was always the one getting all the shine. But now I know it doesn't serve anyone when I do that, and it especially doesn't serve the women that work inside the Honest Company. They want to see a woman who's a leader, who had a good idea, who can sit at the table, and who can make decisions. So, yes. <laughs> so
3: I, can, I, can attest, I can attest to the fact that the people who work for you, the rank and file, how big is Honest now, how many employees? We have like 530. Yeah. So more than 500 employees. Yeah. They love working at Honest. They you see it, you walk into the building, you see it. They live it. They you know they just are such fans of the brand, mm-hmm. uh, as well as they, they just you can tell they just collectively feel like they own the own they own the business, and I know that culture has always been really important to you what did you do to proactively build the kind of corporate culture, to build
2: the kind of business culture that you aspire to build? What did, how did you do that? Well, you know, from day one, as much as you want to hire the smartest people, right, you kind of feel like if I hire the smartest people, I possibly can, you know, that no matter where, what lane you put them in, you, they will pretty much be able to execute and excel. That's kind of an old school way of looking at it, I think. I think you need to surround yourself with people that you like, that you respect, that have values, that have integrity. Because sure, there's tons of smart people out there, but I really care about common sense and I really care about integrity. And again, maybe it's because I didn't go through a conventional upbringing and schooling that that's why I put so much value on that. Um, I also feel like when, you con- when, it gets to- when it gets down to, like, the biggest challenges and when you really have to solve problems, especially when you're building a company, there's always going to be so many challenges, you want to be able to sit in a room, be around people that you respect, and you want to tackle problems together. And, uh, you- and I feel like if you guys aren't in it together in the right way and if you don't have the mission in mind, you can start to do a lot of game playing, mm-hmm. Uh, It becomes like the art of war, politicking, and that's never going to serve anyone, especially when you're trying to build something innovative that's going to last for a long time. So for me, the culture is just as much about finding the right people that really believe in the mission, staying on message and aligned with that mission, reinforcing that, and doing as much sort of... um, community-building activities inside uh, the company and investing in people inside the company as much as possible. I mean, you're you're only as good as as the people that are building the company uh, you're you're with. And um, one of the things that that I'm really proud of that we've been able to do that we couldn't do in the beginning because you're a startup and you're trying to figure it out, but we've been able to do uh, two years ago, we um, enforced a a paternity leave um, maternity and paternity leave that's I think pretty great it's four months for women and it's three months for men and then we will work with you if you want to take longer, um, if you need to do shared time at home for whatever reason and I think being flexible with people and allowing them to have families um, have a personal life I think they bring more to work And so, uh, to me, taking care of people uh, at the company is just as important as our output and what products we make.
3: So I saw the coolest interview you did was Cheryl Sandberg recently. Oh, it was, yeah. Yes, I it was, was
2: super nervous. I was like, oh my <laughs> you, gosh, Sheryl Sandberg? Yes,
3: no. Oh. Yeah. Oh. It was so funny because you both looked so happy to be with each other. It was really very cute. But anyway, you said, that I have to ask you about this. So you said in that interview that when you were five years old, you were already a
2: feminist. Mm-hmm. So you say, what, talk I, about that. I believed in equality when I was five. Five years old. Yeah, I was like, "Wow, that awesome? women that's, that's, should yes. be on the same level as men." My... <laughs> um, yeah, crazy thought, right? We should get <laughs> paid the same. Yes. We should, for doing the same work. We should be treated the same, pretty much across the board. Um, yeah, I was. Uh, I was raised by my mother and my grandmother, uh, and they were very reso- resourceful. Strong, opinionated women, and they always felt like I deserved a seat at the table, and they always uh, encouraged that in me.
3: So now you fast forward to today, mm-hmm. and you're not only a mother of two daughters, mm-hmm. you are so into being a mom like it oh, is yeah. such a huge <laughs> part of your identity because they're rad i have like the coolest kids <laughs> ever so, you know so how
2: has motherhood changed you changed your approach to business changed your approach to life my kids is so weird so i used to be really uptight and then i had kids and i was like Oh, my God, I felt mortal right away. And I was like, so if this is my last day, did I fit it all in? Did I live my life to the fullest? Am I completely present and in the moment? And I was, prior to having kids, I was really living for tomorrow, and it was really about the next thing, and I was never satisfied with today. And after I became a mom, I am really happy with today, and I try to live in fear and, and that doesn't sound, in a positive way, I'm doing the thing that scares me the most every single day, and I'm showing my girls that you can do something that you don't really know what tomorrow is going to bring. You were trying your hardest every day. You were soaking it all up every single day, but you were doing something that you believe in. And it's kind of a vulnerable, scary place to be, but I do feel like um, more than telling my daughters to do that, I, I... I like to lead by example.
3: So what are you most proud of? And what do you think is going to be the biggest challenge over the next five years?
2: Most proud of keeping my kids alive. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's always a good thing. They're they're alive and well. We FaceTimed on their way to school this morning. They told me it was raining. I was like, awesome, we need the rain in California. Um, What am I most proud of? of. I mean, I think that living, living the life that um, I think living my life with I feel like a degree of integrity and doing the thing that does scare me the most which is running a company. Yeah. Um, I, I do feel, I mean, it's my, it is my baby. I do feel so much conviction in wanting to do the right thing by everyone at the company and for all of our customers every single day. And what does five years look like? Gosh, uh, I wish I had a crystal ball and I was psychic. <laughs> um, I, I just, I really hope that if we stay on track, that we will be able to affect more people's lives and we'll be able to really give people on a global scale uh, access to health, a healthier life through our products and education.
3: What advice would you have to all these folks sitting in the room, many of whom I imagine are entrepreneurs, students starting their careers? What, what have you learned? What would you, what would you say to this audience?
2: Don't wait for tomorrow. Um, I think you have to chip away at your idea today. I think when people tell you no, they're just trying. Instead of you looking at, at it as, a, as something that's going to discourage you, I think you have to look at it as a way that you need to refine what you're saying and what you're doing. Uh, maybe you just have to deliver it in a different way. So never look at no as, as the be-all, end-all. No just means they didn't get it today, but they might get it tomorrow. And, and that, you know, I pitched the, this company to Brian Lee, my co-founder. 18 months prior, he said no, flat out. I'm busy. I'm doing something else. And 18 months later, I refined that idea. I pitched it to him in a different way. Timing was right. He became a dad, and he was receptive to it. So I think you have to persevere, be relentless, have your vision in mind, get real with what you're good at and what you're not good at, support what you're not good at in however way you can with expertise, data, and then stick to your guns and don't wait for tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. And so the only thing you do have control of is right here and right now. So do you hear that? When people say no to you, what they're really saying is not yet, <laughs> okay?
3: All right, we're almost out of time. Can we do a lightning round? Yeah. Like a lightning, round. okay. These are gonna be fun, all right? Only oh, jeez. To... I know. No, they'll be fun, okay, all <laughs> right, right, all right. But okay. I'm like
2: long-winded. Okay, all right. <laughs>
3: No, but you're not. Make these quick. Okay, quick, quick, quick. right. right. What is the best book you've read recently? (sighs) (sighs) (laughs) Oh. Jess, if you do this with every question, I'm sorry. I know you read all the time. Like you're always reading stuff,
2: but you can't choose the best. I mean, I, I'm okay. I but before I did. Listen, I, mean, I know. Okay, I'm <laughs> explaining myself. Okay. All right. All right. Before All right. I did the interview with Sheryl Sandberg, okay. I read Lean In again, and okay. it's still it's okay. still really good. It's still so. really good. All right, and okay. Guys I I should read to it a too. Answer. Okay. The last TV show you binge watch? Oh, uh, uh, it happened. It's called It Happened One Night and Stranger Things. Oh. Yeah, both. Okay. Nice. Mine was stranger stranger? stranger... stranger Things, yeah. I got you on oh, my. Naked and Afraid. She, she did. And I survived. Have you seen Naked and Afraid,
3: you guys? The fact I, that they don't get the money for it is is so The only reason I have crazy. watched it is because she made me. Yeah, I did. And it's like 2 in the morning, and I sent you a note. I said I'm at episode 5. Okay, anyway. All right. <laughs> Your go-to comfort food? Popcorn. Okay. The best thing about being a mom... Mmm, cuddles. No. <laughs> hey, The most unexpected thing about being a mom? Oh, anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, you work well, though, I had to say. Uh, okay. okay. Secret to a happy marriage? Communication. Okay. What stupid thing makes you happy? Tequila. <laughs> <laughs> Nice answer. Okay. Uh, do you have any secret useless talents?
2: Hmm. Uh, no. I, mean, I I cook. Yeah. Okay. It's not. Okay. It's not useless, though. Yeah, I no. Mean, okay. Good. All right.
3: What is the best advice you've ever gotten?
2: Best advice I've ever gotten. Oh. Oh. I don't know. I know. I know. I know. Um, um, I read um, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt leadership book, and it, in the book she said, "Don't allow anyone to tell you no who, don't, who doesn't have the power to say yes." Ooh,
3: that's good. wow!
2: <laughs> it took you—that
3: was, was really. good It took you a few minutes, but it was. Kind I know. Of I'm like, it was good. To... Yeah, it was good. Okay, very but, last one if there is one thing you will remember about today what will it be
2: oh giving you a
3: hug oh that's nice <laughs> jessica Alba, everyone <laughs>
0: And breaking for a minute to say business can be done from anywhere, in the palm of your hand and at the source. However you move your business forward with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum card, backed by the service and security of American Express.
1: When you're wearing the right outfit, it feels good. Like finding an onion ring in your french fries good. Feel that way every single day when you work with a Trunk Club personal stylist. Meet your stylist at TrunkClub.com. That's T-R-U-N-K-C-L-U-B.com. Next, we have our last kind of funny guys. They're the fine brothers, Benny and Rafi. They um, have an extremely successful YouTube channel. Um, They were born and raised in Brooklyn. They got famous on YouTube. They're known for their React videos, um, which have garnered them over a billion YouTube views and over 14 million subscribers. But since then, they have gone well beyond just YouTube. Um, They have a fully-fledged production studio, and they have made shows for traditional television, including on Nickelodeon, and they are also in the midst of producing a feature film. So please welcome to the stage, Benny and Rafi. So you obviously um, started with the Hysterical React um, and are still doing it. We can see with the Trump stuff. And but what kind of now you've also created animated series, you've created TV series, your movie film is coming out, your feature film. So, could you tell me a little bit about the evolution of you know going on YouTube to kind of this full on production studio?
4: Yeah, the lightning fast version is we started making feature films when we were in high school, we were very Kevin Smith influenced back then, Uh, like he can do it, we can do it. And then we saw that uh, we were just no longer Orthodox Jews and we knew nobody and we were never <laughs> going to make it in the film festival world. Uh, so we went to the internet as the new film festival 12 years ago, so before YouTube, before social media, kind of existed, starting with feature films that we were breaking up and then learning and evolving with the platform. And we say a lot that our history really is evolving Endlessly as the, the trends adaptor, changed, it, yeah, yeah adapter yeah. fall behind, mm-hmm. and uh, so we were huge on MySpace when that was a thing, and then it shifted over to YouTube when MySpace kind of fell to the side. But there's always been a traditional mindset in a lot of ways because we're older than a lot of our peers on YouTube. If you're if you, the people th- thinking you're about them, you, guys yeah. are ancient. we're so old. We're the grandparents <laughs> of YouTube. We're not we're, under 30. No, we're not.
3: <laughs> We're
4: at uh, <laughs> no. um, but from there it always was the thought of like how do you create IP how do you create a television network for the future and the new media version of what a TV network is and you can see from the reel that like we've been making content across all different genres inside of one brand that's now branching off into subscription platforms like YouTube Red to linear television and our own channels that keep growing every week
1: Do you have a favorite platform?
5: Fa- favorite platform
4: or YouTube is like the favorite? YouTube platform.
1: always why? <laughs>
5: It's still YouTube. Yeah, I mean, it, like, even realizing it's that, it's that amazing thing that nobody was even thinking about, and it was, like, this subscribe button that just revolutionized everything. And uh, I think to this day you see the power of that, along with the ability of YouTube becoming more and more global, that you're just seeing so much more audience continuing to find itself there, and people innovating what is content and what is, what is something that people will want to watch. And it's the only platform that you can kind of still kind of innovate in that way in such an exciting way. But hopefully YouTube stays up with it because, you know, with SVODs and with interactivity and, uh, you know, being able to figure out how do you do other types of storytelling on YouTube is something YouTube has to figure out.
1: What was your first video on YouTube that really made it big?
5: The first one would be
4: 2008-ish. Lost was huge on ABC at the time, and we loved making action figure content. And our first really big action action figures... Yeah, we do. We still do. Uh Uh, But the first really big hit was... It was called Lost Parody, Star Wars, and it was a recreation of a scene from Lost that then Darth Vader showed up and killed Hurley. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> and that became 24 episodes of that parody series, and it ended up showing at Comic-Con, and it became a whole thing. So on YouTube, that was the first big video.
5: started a lot of our... Uh, our we noticed that we had an ability to tap into other fandoms mm-hmm. and, like, make great content that for is, that like, fan. for yeah. that, but then lent it, led itself really well to, like, branded entertainment. Now. So,
1: so that was what you were saying about, you know, kind of keeping up. If YouTube can keep up, that was, like, a very democratic... You kind of used little action figures that you had at home and a storyline that you came up with and made a video, a very homemade video, do you think? And now the videos you make have this huge production studio behind it. Um, do you think that, that, that people sitting at home can still kind of have success on the platform you know, with action figures or with a, a webcam in their living room?
4: Well, it's a lot harder now in terms of, but it was always hard. It wasn't like it was easy before, but it's so much more saturated. I mean, so oversaturated now with, with so many people trying to do the same thing because there's like a next generation of YouTube star now when you really yeah. think about it. And we meet a lot of them because of our YouTubers React show. We stay very, we know almost everybody in the community because even when they rise up, they end up on our show at some point And they talk about how it was a goal of some of the 17, 18, 19-year-olds to I what do I want to do for a living? I want to be a YouTube star. That, was, that didn't exist just several <laughs> years ago. So it's totally different now. But yes, there's always a way. Like to what he was saying, there's, there's so many different types of avenues of making content that you can tap into. And some of the biggest things in the world right now are things that if you would talk about 10 years ago, you would never believe that the most popular thing arguably in entertainment is watching people play video games. And that is maybe the most popular thing yeah. that exists. Uh, wh- or teaching you how to do makeup or ASMR, if anyone knows about that whole uh, phenomenon. And there, there's just there's something that proves itself to be something that the masses want, and YouTube allows that, so I do think it's still possible.
1: Um, and you guys are brothers who work together. And if I think about working with my brother, um, we would first of all not have a successful production studio. We would probably <laughs> one of us would probably be in the hospital or dead. Um, so, kind of how does that work? Um, who takes what? You know, is one of you more business? Is one of you more creative? Are you? Yeah. Have you always kind of been a tag team?
5: I think the the number one thing that just worked out really well is that like uh, we were best friends from being little little kids, and he's he's my older brother, and he let me tag along, and. Uh, <laughs> Some uh,
1: someone record this for their mom and dad. But, I mean,
5: th- that was really like you know, if we didn't get along uh, even earlier, I don't know if we would have noticed that that would. I think the, the worst parts
4: of my life were the four and a half years we didn't live in the same state.
5: This guy. Aww. Um, but the number one thing that we say about how it's possible that we were able to, uh, uh, really work together and build a company together is that we have a mutual respect for what we're each better at than the other one. Cause I think that, you know, when you, especially are an entrepreneur and everything, you're, you're going in and you kind of feel that alpha kind of ability to know how to do everything. And we were able to recognize that he had, talents inside of filmmaking and business that were things that i was good at but not as good and similarly it was the opposite like on that and now that we've grown i mean we have 55 people full time at our company and you know we're always having other uh, television productions and films going on with another 50 something employees going and so that's where now along with our hiring an executive team and all these things is how we are figuring out how do we divvy up Running a, a company. Different responsibilities, okay. and what do we really now see as our uh, best traits and, and skill sets for the company as it keeps growing uh, and growing. Well, so that's we're divvying those things up like,
4: like crazy. We were even just talking right, right, right before we came on. This is the first time in years we've actually spoken together
5: on something.
3: We're you know, always
4: in different places. Usually yeah. 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 only one of us
5: can go to most of these
4: things. You have to, you yes. have to split up the fine mm-hmm.
5: talent. So we were going like, it's okay if you say something and I don't say this. <laughs> All right, just go for it. I respect you. Um
1: <laughs> what, happens, what, happens if you dis- what happens if you disagree? Like, do you ever have, like, a React? Like, who, which one of you came up with React?
4: You know, it's one of those things that we never remember exactly how it happened, that but I do, I do still it. have an index card, because the quick version of, of the beginnings of that was we were the, the first heads of production and creative at Maker Studios the first year that that existed. So we built their whole studio and hired their first team, and then when we parted ways with them and we're starting our own thing, we were like, okay, what are we going to make now? We've never kind of been fully and totally, like, full time on YouTube until that point and we were like let's take ourselves out of the box let's not put ourselves in the narrow we were you're only doing comedy you're a s- sketch comedy in. guys yeah. that's yeah. who
1: we were in town and we're
4: we were really like let's- messed up Sketch comedy. <laughs> Pretty, if you go back into the vault, really I'll
1: nerdy find, sketch yeah. comedies. I've really seen some of your early stuff. stuff. Yeah. It's like really nerdy. Uh, I you. like it. I like it. But, it's it. Nerdy. Uh,
4: but from it, we were developing a bunch of different things across a lot of different genres. On an index card, had multiple things, including some Lindsay Lohan show that we ended up making. Uh, and also on there was kids watching viral videos question mark uh, yeah. and that evolved into what it was. That really came from uh, I was directing something with three younger kids. And I think it did, it came as a hybrid, I think, from both of us. But I was there talking to them, as you need to do when you're directing a child, to make sure that you're friendly with them. And I realized they're completely different than my childhood in such a completely unique way because of social media. What would, they, and it started from how can we make a script all about how two different people, two different kids would view something completely differently through the lens of what they've seen online. And yeah. I started it as a script and then realized, why is this a script? The best way that talk you can to possibly them. do this is talk to them directly. And that's where the idea kind of came from to show, like, at the time, the most craziest viral video, which was the double rainbow video. Uh, but also in that very first episode, you also see us doing a President Obama piece, mm-hmm. because we've always been social issues inside of this, too, of, like, what do kids think that's now oh, every generation. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. and, uh, yeah, after kids, you moved on to old people, because they're second as funny, I guess. <laughs> um well, you've obviously moved on also onto TV and feature films. Um, you said you prefer YouTube. How do you go about altering the comedy for TV, YouTube, feature films? Which you know they're different timelines, they're different production values. Um, it obviously must be tricky. Why did you do it, and what do you think is the value? And in-
5: uh, it's lots of different questions in there.
1: Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 can, I can repeat. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, I think that's just generally, like, why do we do it? I think it's, uh, we, we just feel that uh, content is, you know, going to be in all different forms, and that's something that, like, we've adapted with over time It's kind of originally just thinking we're going to make feature films and that th- that's all we're going to do and Kevin Smith, huzzah mm-hmm. and, uh, and then we're going to realize that no, there was all this different great content that was to be made and that's just continued and continued to six second things and you know, uh, on Snapchat and Musical.ly and everything. It's like the excitement uh, to be able to be that creative and have a company that can kind of tackle each of those things is that's, that's what we're building, is to be able to make any type of content in any shape or form, uh, whether it's vertical or not, uh, you can make great content. And I think that's more than anything. Is, like, is it difficult to make things for different platforms? Not really. I think the most difficult part is just not having enough time in the day and not having enough Uh, Resources and enough staff to be able to produce for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that we're working towards now is to try to find the ways to be able to produce and innovate on all those platforms all at the same time. And we're innovating more on the couple that we can currently. I think
4: the excitement level really is that content and consumption is changing so much across so many different platforms and different types of links, and all of it is art. Yeah. And as artists, there's art to the six-second video, there's art to the mid-length video, and there's still art to, obviously, the feature films and traditional television shows, and we want to be creating art everywhere that there is and trying to create and develop ideas for each of those platforms.
1: You mentioned that the hardest part about creating this art for all the platforms is not having enough time in the day. So up to now, you guys are self-funded, correct? Yeah. You know, you've used your AdSense dollars, you've gotten sponsored content in videos what what's the next step are you guys looking into maybe getting some venture capital do you, obviously right now if you think something's funny you guys can roll with it which is really awesome like you guys don't have anyone telling you no but are you looking into maybe funding what's next
4: uh, I think that it's a combination. One is just trying to scale what we're doing uh, as best we can to see where that leads us while at the same time entertaining those conversations kind of for the first time mm-hmm. uh, over time because we do see, we've evolved into something so much bigger than ourselves for years now. And having, you know, once you hit that 50 employee mark, like it definitely is shifting and we're doing things in so many different mediums that it's that moment of like, how can, are we going to hit a ceiling at some point with just what we can do on the AdSense and, yeah. and things like that that are still working. Each, tr- each
5: side of the company is underserved, and, and the audience, more than anything, is the most important is being underserved. Like, they want to be getting, you know, we make I think, 12 videos, 12 videos right. a week right now, but they want 50. You know, yeah. they, they want so much more. So, uh, there, and then when it comes to the business side, you know, when we're working with brands, like, we get so many opportunities, we have to start turning them down. And right now with TV shows, we have, like, five in development right now. So, and that's being underserved in a lot of ways too. So, that's where we kind of feel like okay, when you get to this point, yeah, we want to be able to understand what that next step might look like.
1: Um, And we have time for one more question. and that is going to be... What does your mom say? What do your parents say? Are they super proud of where you... Are you f- oh, bubula. No.
4: <laughs> uh, they're very proud. You also can... Our, our dad, though he moved, uh, you can see him in a lot of the Elders React videos himself. Uh, oh, it, really? The, the yeah. best one that to put him through was Elders React to 50 Shades of Grey with our father, reading part of the book back to us. It was wonderful. It was great. Uh, But so very, very proud, very, very supportive, and always have been. You know, we were very, very creative younger kids, me especially. Like, I used to take my dad's little tape recorder and interview people on our block in Brooklyn and then play it back, (laughs) pretending I was obscure reference maybe, pretending I was Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China on a CB radio. I'm pretending I was Jack Burton. Uh, so they've always been very supportive. I think in the early, early, early days before there was YouTube and a website and we were just making things and showing them to friends, there was a little bit of concern, especially because we were still Orthodox Jews at the time <laughs> with some of what we were making, uh
5: but yeah, some of it was really risque for orthodox Jews.
1: <laughs> weird,
4: weird. Uh,
5: but all in all, super proud, very supportive.
4: I'm and, taking my uh,
1: yarmulke art off. It's just for art, don't worry. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> don't worry.
4: But yeah, I don't think you can have more supportive parents and uh, you know,
5: we have to tell our mom not to leave comments on the videos so much. <laughs> if she does make a different account, call it something else, not like, you know, mommy loves you. <laughs> Mama fine.
0: Mama fine loves you. <laughs>
1: Anyway, so thank you so much, you guys. I can't wait to see what you guys do next. Thank
0: you. That's it for this episode of Forbes Under 30. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to reach out to us with a comment or question, please do so at under30, that's the number 30, at podcast1.com. Hey everybody, Podcast One has a new app where you can find out everything about your favorite shows, including articles, social media, and behind-the-scenes photos. There is no other podcast app like this. Download the all-new Podcast One app now in the App Store or on Google Play. Have you heard Spike's Car Radio? It's comedian, actor, writer Spike Ferriston sitting on the porch in Malibu talking with some cool people about cool cars and life in general. My first guest is Jerry Seinfeld. He's right here. He was all right. Don't try to hug him. Chris Hardwick. I could feel everything on the road. I mean, it was right. basically like, it was like unprotected sex for driving. You could- <laughs> Jeremy Piven. I you hold you know what, I think years. you and Jerry are spiritually tied to cars, <laughs> and I respect it and I love it, but I don't quite get it yet, but I want to get it. Download new episodes of Spikes Car Radio every Wednesday on the Podcast One app, or save time and subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or at PodcastOne.com. At the Border.